Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, and super excited, as I am every week, to bring you yet another incredible role model. And today is no different. We've got Lalise Garcia-Babb, who is the Movement Media Director and Spokesperson at Girl Scouts USA. So how is that for a title? Welcome, Lalise. I'm so happy to have you with us. Oh, Melinda, I'm so glad to be here. And role model, oh my gosh, I feel like you're my role model. Like, seriously. I'm really humbled to be asked to be on and to talk about my experiences. Hope it helps somebody listening. It will. I know it will. And you know what? I think the great thing about role models is we can all be role models for each other. Having that transparency and that authenticity and telling our stories, everyone has got a story to tell and something to learn from someone else. So before we talk about your super cool new gig and your your (laughs) title... I like to go back. I know that you've got a really interesting history. So I want to kind of go back to when you were growing up, when you were a girl and sort of like what your hopes and dreams were and what you thought you were going to be and and where were you in life? So I was raised in Mexico, uh, Mexico City to be exact. I came to the United States when I was 18 to study political science at the University of Texas at Austin. And I met my husband, Mike, and I stayed. The plan, I think, was for my parents was to send me here, get an education and go back home. Didn't work out that way. Mike kind of got in the way. So I got two degrees at UT, one in broadcast journalism, one in political science. And then I got married right out of college, like so many women of my generation do or did. And then my husband and I moved to Cleveland where he played football for 12 years in the NFL. And then we moved back to Austin because my husband is a diehard Texan and seventh generation and one morning at breakfast. My uh, eldest daughter said to my husband, hey, daddy, what's the big deal about being from Texas? He couldn't tell her about it. Uh, She was all of eight at the time. So anyway, we moved back to Texas and I've been here ever since. And it's been been a really interesting ride. I think that, you know, I'm one of those people that has had multiple careers and multiple jobs. And I didn't even know I was a thing called an entrepreneur. I just thought I'd never finished anything. You know, I just like... (laughs) I was one of those people that was like, start a company three to five years, move on, you know? And it just kind of, it's, that's been my kind of pattern now that I look back at my resume and I was asked to write a letter to my younger self a couple of months ago. It was a very interesting exercise, but it's when I looked back at the resume and saw that I really do have this pattern of doing things three to five years and then moving on. And I always thought that was a, a character flaw of mine. And I remember one day, in fact, our mutual friend, Sherry Matthews said to me, well, that's just an entrepreneur, you know? And I I was like, well, I wish somebody had told me that. That word was not bandied around back when I was in college the way it is now. So I didn't know that's what I was. But anyway, so it's been a career. I've had media. At one point I owned nine weight loss salons. That was a real experience. We all struggle with that. I did work for ABC News as a special correspondent. And then you, of course, know I had a radio show, The Ladies Room, which you were a regular on. And that's where you and I got to be friends. And it's been a a great ride. And the greatest thread through all of this for me has been the wonderful relationships that I've created with other women along the way, because I have amazing friends. 
Well, I think that it is interesting because when I sort of looking more into your background, you know, you sort of know, you know, somebody sort of from the point at which you start to get to know them going forward, right. but you don't always know, you know, if I were to describe you, you definitely have, you know, a very powerful voice, but also just about a powerful voice to help others and especially women. So I've sort of always known you in this women's space and you helping women and girls, not only from your radio show, but then starting the conference for young girls to really help them, you know, feel good about themselves and feel encouraged, you know, and now to your Girl Scouts. You know, when did you sort of figure out that really helping other women, because I would call that a superpower of yours. I agree. I think that, you know, I don't know how it is for a lot of women, but I don't think it's that way now. But but I, I know that when I came into business, the idea was that there were so many places at the top for women. And that if you got one of those spots, you better hang on to it because the boys were only going to let so many women in kind of, that was the feeling, right? Of course, we were told, you know, you have to be twice as good to be taken half as seriously. You know, the, the, the same thing kind of, I think that women have heard ad nauseum for generations. And so for me, you know, I didn't learn the value of female relationships until later on, probably in my late thirties. And I think that I also, you know, I always tell my girls when they say, well, you know, they, when they were young, they'd say, well, I just get along better with boys. Which I just don't get along with girls. And my answer to that is always, well, that's because girls call you on your stuff, right? Boys, you can bamboozle. And so for me, you know, it was kind of like, it went from being this adversarial almost relationship or kind of competitive relationship to recognizing women are, to me, superheroes because they have to do everything and, you know, it's like we have jobs and we raise our children. We raise our children and we have jobs. We have friends. We take care of our parents. We, I mean, every study that you see, even though men are stepping up more and more to the plate and co-parenting and taking more duties on, studies show that primarily women are still the number one, you know, caregivers of their family, the number one, you know, take care of their homes and their family, their extended family. And so I think we also historically have been the sex that had to have certain wiles, if you will, to be able to get things done. You know, I remember my mother telling me, oh, you know, your father thinks he's in charge, but it's always my idea. I just make him think it's his idea. You know, I think we've all heard versions of that at some time in our lives. I, you know, have a great relationship with my husband and my brothers and had a great relationship with my father. So I've, I've never like been a man hater or anything like that. But I do think that women have this unique ability to see the world through the prism of what's good for my family, what's good for my community, what's good for the world. Men, I think, are a little more linear. They're kind of like, what's good for me and my family? I think they kind of stay very narrow in their scope as far as like, you know, what they accomplish. So for me, the superpower of women is to be able to see the big picture. And because they're able to see the big picture, they're a lot more generous, I think, in terms of themselves and their time. I think the, the number one thing that I hear from women in their 40s is please stop me when I volunteer because I can't take on anymore. It's, it's a hard thing for us, right? Isn't it hard for us to say no? I just have found women to be incredibly resourceful and passionate and, you know, not that men aren't, but just in greater numbers. And I think that we had to be just because we weren't handed anything. We've had to fight for everything that was outside of that traditional scope or role that we, you know, have been placed into. So we've had to fight for everything we've been given. Nobody handed us anything. 
Also, you talk a lot about things through the eyes of your mother and other women, and, and you also raised two daughters. Your daughter, she's posting on Facebook about your birthday, and she said, here's a common joke I like to tell about my mom. If I told my mother I had decided to become an astronaut, her response would be, well, you should, honey. You would be great at it. I know Neil Armstrong. We should set up a lunch. I belly laughed so hard out loud because I'm like, that's slow leaks. You encourage, it's like, of course you'd be good at that. Okay, let's figure out how to make this happen. So I just love for you to just talk about too, you know, raising two daughters and seeing things through their eyes and sort of what's going on with this women's movement. You know, how has that sort of changed your perspective or made you think about things differently? Well, first of all, I think raising children, and I mean, you're raising an amazing young man who some girl is going to be very lucky to get someday. My my little feminist. (laughs) Oh my God, so amazing. We need more of him. I think children teach us so much about ourselves, just whether they're boys or girls. I think that raising another human being is probably the greatest calling that another human being can have. I think it's also the hardest job I've ever had and the most thankless. (laughs) But I think what was a surprise to me about raising my girls was how different and yet how much the same things are. I remember my daughter, you know, recently said to me, you know, we were having a conversation about feminism and she was like, sorry, this was like maybe a couple of years ago, but we were talking about this situation recently. And she said, you know, your kind of feminism isn't needed. There's a lot more equity in the workplace and blah, blah, blah. You know, she was right out of college. She didn't know any better. And then she went to work for a company and found out there was a guy making $40,000 more a year than she was for no other reason, except that he was a guy Mm -hmm. and threw her world into a tailspin. That just goes to show how much things are still the same. But there were a lot of instances where my prejudices about, you know, relationships with boys or dating or the way things are done getting into college or whatever were met with my daughter's, you know, kind of, no, mom, that's not the way it is. I mean, they called me on stuff, you know, like I would make these assumptions about something and they would say, no, mom, you know, this is how it is, or this is how we need to think of it now. They do that with their father all the time. You know, their father said something the other day about, oh, he just needs to man up. And one of my daughters was like, what does that mean, dad? Are you talking about masculinity in like the toxic sense? Are you like, (laughs) they call you on stuff. But, you know, I I read a book right before I started the We Are Girls conference with my partners. But when we started that, I remember reading a book called Reading Ophelia. Have you ever read that book? No, I've not. It's about the difference between girls and boys. And I just remember reading that book and being terrified that I had this young, moldable, living being that I was now having to raise and, you know, give lessons to and being very cognizant of what lessons I needed to give my children. And so the way I approached it was I thought about what were the things that I didn't know when I went to college? Okay. I didn't know how to wash dishes. I didn't know how to do laundry. I, I, my mom wasn't thinking of those things, you know, when she was preparing me, she was thinking more of like, you know, let's get her into college and make sure she's safe. But Things like balancing a checkbook, you know? I mean, my father handed me checks and I just thought as long as you had checks, you had money. I didn't even understand how that worked, right? So preparing them with real life skills, you know, making sure that they knew what a good nutritious meal was, making sure that they knew how to, you know, do their clothes, making sure they knew how to write thank you notes. So there's all those, you know, like skills that you need to get through life. But then there were all those things about how do you stand up for yourself? How do you learn to love yourself? How do you set limits? How do you create boundaries that are healthy for yourself and others? How do you set goals? How do you achieve them? All of those things I had to think about, again, as a parent. 
then made me think about, well, what are your goals, Lolis? What do you want to accomplish in life? What kind of person do you want to be, right? So all these lessons that I'm trying to teach my children, I am now internalizing myself. But the person I have become as their mother is a person that I like and is so much richer and fuller and has so much more to give than that person pre-children. I like who I am because I'm their mother. I never would have started that conference if Lottie hadn't been bullied. It probably never would have happened. Then we created this thing that is serving thousands and thousands of girls every year. Yes, still is going. I saw your magazine and thought we need something like that on the airways. I'm tired of listening to, you know, angry white men. Let's get some women on the air, you know? And now you're continuing that work. It's like we build on each other and on each other's work. And I think that when you're raising the next generation, you not only have to give them lessons, but you have to internalize those lessons as well and see where they lead you. Because you're not done when you're 40. You're not done when you're 50. You're not done. I mean, yesterday I was watching Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda on Ellen. Did you see it? Yeah. You know, Jane Fonda was talking about this whole idea of I'm 81 and I'm still changing. I'm still growing. I'm still, you know, evolving. You know, I think one of the things that we need to do as women is start telling other women how old we are. Because we need to let the young women know that life is not over when you hit 50 and 60 and 70 and 80. You're still creating. You're still contributing. You're still growing. You don't stop learning until you die. And so I think that that's what my children have taught me more than anything is that life just keeps going and evolving and merging and changing. That's the fun part. on a call with a woman who I built a relationship with who used to be the president of Disney and she's really phenomenal and she and I were just chatting about our new year and she said well I always put an education plan for myself for the year I think about where do I want to expand my horizon and I look at the different conferences that are out there and different kind of learnings and I put a learning plan together because I want to make sure that I continue to do that so I'm like wow And I love that idea that here she's retired, but she's off at this conference and doing this. I just thought that was brilliant and wonderful. It's not being comfortable, like constantly stretching yourself. I remember I interviewed Cher a long time ago, and she was talking about this house that she had built and how she had lived in it for, I think it was seven years at the time. And everything in that house was exactly the way she wanted it. And it it was her, and she was so comfortable there, and she loved it. And then in the next breath, she said, but I'm selling it. And I said, this is your dream home. Why would you sell it? And she said, every seven to 10 years, I shake everything up because I get too comfortable. I've never forgotten that lesson. It's like, great lesson. you know what I mean? It's like, you have to shake things up. You have to, that's why I think so many of us will look at tragedies in retrospect and think they were a great blessing because we learn from them. They force us out of our comfort zone. I have this agreement with God that he won't like, please, God, don't send me anything that, you know, like terrible because I'm going to knock myself out of my comfort zone every seven years. I promise. Let's switch over and maybe just talk about some hurdles that I I know a lot of women face and and we hear about. Let's talk about, you know, your ethnicity. You are a Latina woman. I remember when I first found out that, that you're from Mexico, I'm like, what? I thought she was from New York. I learned English from English teachers from Mankato, Minnesota. No, that's awesome. But anyway, I just kind of sort of love for you to kind of talk about your experience. And I know Latina women, you know, are still struggling and working to get ahead, but they also are the largest group of entrepreneurs sort of coming on. In fact, I've got this book sitting right here. I don't know, like self-made Nellie Galan. I don't know if you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she's phenomenal. And she's doing all kinds of things to help Latina entrepreneurs. So I just love to sort of talk about your experience. 
Well, you know, it's interesting because I never really thought of myself like, you know, that way. Like I didn't think oh, I'm a Latina woman. I just thought of myself as a woman. Right. And that in and of itself, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, is an obstacle, <laughs> period. I remember one time I was doing a report on Bosnia and I'd been out on this uh, huge ship, you know, one of these uh, aircraft carriers. And I was down in the newsroom and I was preparing my news story and I was so excited to get out there and, you know, get interviewed and give my story and stuff. And the anchor walked by and patted me on the head and said, oh, aren't we playing reporter today? Like, aren't you cute? I've had a lot of that. I've had a lot of instances where you know, the attention was on and the focus was on my husband. So I was either discounted or, you know, ignored, you know, that's happened a lot. But I honestly like being underestimated. I like people not knowing I'm Latin. Like for those of you that don't know me, I'm blonde and green eyed. And I told you this, my sister has a bumper sticker on our car that says, so what does a Mexican look like? Just know we come in all shapes, sizes, and flavors and colors. So I don't think I initially thought of myself that way because obviously I came from a Latin country where I was in the majority as far as women. Now, once I got here, there was this weird disconnect for me because I had never encountered that. You know, I remember in college being tested to see if I spoke English and I kept trying to say, okay, I wouldn't be here if I couldn't speak English. Like I wouldn't have been accepted into this university. But so little insults like that. Just because of your last name. Yeah, just because of my last name. You know, they had to make sure I could speak English, you know. That happened to my daughter, too, recently in high school. But I have had the experience where people have treated me differently on the phone. And interestingly, I've had the experience where I speak in Spanish to people I know can speak in Spanish, but they won't talk in Spanish to me. They answer me in English. You know, they hear me and see me and think, you know. But quite honestly, I don't think the obstacles for me have been as much of, you know, someone, you know, subjugating me or not letting me achieve things. The obstacles have really been of my own making. I think that there are a lot of Latina women that have had that experience in this country and we can't discount it. I mean, but I do think that for me, it's been more about being a woman rather than a Latin woman. And it's just in the last two or three years where I've been very aware of my Mexicanness, if you will. And I just think that's because of the larger conversation, how negative it's gotten. But the obstacles that I really faced were more obstacles of fear and obstacle of lack of confidence. I shared with you one time the story of interviewing Martha Beck, who is Oprah's life coach. And she's a great writer, prolific writer, has written many, many books. And her comment to me was that one of the greatest lessons that she learned was that we as women do not give our talents the value that we should. So for instance, in her case, she thought everybody could write books. Like it didn't occur to her that that was a gift. It didn't occur to her that that was unique or different or special in any way. And I think we all do that to some extent. I think we all have gifts. Every single one of us has a gift or multiple gifts. It's recognizing what those gifts are and what you can do with them. That's the key, right? You know, I had a great mentor once who told me there's only two true emotions in life, fear and love. And everything comes from those two. So you can either operate out of fear or you can operate out of love. When I'm in fear, I have huge obstacles. Obstacles appear... In, in all different ways and forms. When I'm in love, when I'm accepting, when I'm, as I've told you before, the river that flows, like I just go and I just picture a stream and it's just going and flowing. When I'm in that space, the obstacles kind of tend to take care of themselves. You know, it's not that I haven't had to work hard and it's not that I haven't had to overcome. It's that I've always found a way. When I'm in fear, I hit walls that just will not move. 
So back to your earlier question of the value of girlfriends and the value of women friends, my women friends are the ones that get me out of fear. My women friends are the ones I go to and go, this is what I want to do. Like what you said, what I said to my daughter, I'm supportive of women because I don't need them to be supportive of me. Right. It's such a valid point to, to accept and acknowledge and own the things that you're really good at. That does give you confidence. In our new On The Dot Connects, we're going to be rolling out to the public. It's our directory. You, know, you upload your photo and profile, but the very first thing you see is what is my superpower? Because I think that defining like, hey, I'm good at this, you know, it does, it gives you that confidence. And if what we're trying to do is we're trying to encourage women to connect with each other and to help each other, the only way you're even going to have confidence to do that is if you own your own power. You know, if you own that superpower. So we're making you, you got to put your superpower or you can't be part of the club. Get your cape on. That's right. To go with that, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Ask your friends. One of the greatest exercises I ever did was I sat across from uh, friends and we wrote each other's bios. Seeing me through their eyes was a very interesting exercise. And it made me a lot kinder. But here's how you can start having that kind of self-esteem and owning your superpower. Try saying thank you when people compliment you. I cannot tell you how many women I will say, that is a fabulous dress. And they'll go, oh, I got this on sale. It's like, we have to discount it, you know, or, you know, hey, your hair looks fabulous. Oh, no, it's dirty. You know, I didn't you know. Or, you know, that job you got, how great. Oh, anybody could do it. You know, I make my daughters practice that when somebody gives them a compliment to just sit in that uncomfortable space of, you know, oh, I I shouldn't accept it. I'm bragging or I'm not being humble or whatever it is that goes through our head and just say, thank you. And that's it. But I agree with you. I think that bringing your friends into that space and helping them build you up is so important. I have a friend that I routinely call and go, okay, tell me again how wonderful I am because I'm feeling she will. She'll build me back up, you know, and I do the same for her. So I think that being connected as women, you know, the organization CARE did a really interesting study around women and they published it in the United Nations several years ago. And basically what it said was when men are given money, you know, because that's what they do. They give money and resources and stuff to people around the world. When men are given money, they build up their family and themselves and their business and and so on and, and lift up their family. You give women money, they lift up themselves, their children, their family, and their community. It's incredibly wide. They build schools, they build hospitals, they build roads, whereas men just build their business and make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And so if our instinct is to give and nurture, then we need to give and nurture one another, or we're going to give and nurture ourselves out of work, right? Or out of the space. Also are not good at replenishing. You know, we have a great mutual friend, Renee Trudeau, who talks about, you know, self-care and always making sure that you are feeding yourself. And I used to think self-care was a mani-pedi. That's what I thought. And I was like, oh, I'm great at self-care. You know, I get my hair done. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with self-care. And then she started talking about like, are you getting seven to eight, nine hours of sleep a night? Are you protecting that time? Are you setting up time for reflection? Are you setting up time just to be? Are you setting up fun time? Do you laugh every day? Like when she asked me that question, I was like, oh, I don't know. Do I laugh every day? That's what self-care is. And that's another thing I think women are really bad at. We're really good at taking care of everybody else. So your friends, again, are the ones that will say, wait a minute, we need to go to a spa. Or wait a minute, we need to go on a movie date. Or maybe it's just sit around with a glass of wine and just talk about your week. But there needs to be that connection. 
We have a t-shirt for On the Dot this fall, and we have one that says, behind every successful woman is a group tech hyping her up. <laughs> and it's like, when you're feeling vulnerable, you send out that, okay, everybody, I got this going on, and boom, you, you, know, you get that back. That is so incredibly important. This is a great way to segue into what you're doing now, you know, as we're kind of closing with the Girl Scouts, because I think that at a young age, you know, that's what the Girl Scouts is all about, right? At its core, it's young girls learning how to support each other and how to hype each other up and, and get to that success. So I'd love just to talk about your role because you were with the Girl Scouts of Central Texas for seven years and doing phenomenal things here and now have just recently been tapped to go to the national level to corporate, which is a big deal. My first week on the job, I met Michelle Obama. Tell us about your role and, you know, what you're doing with Girl Scouts now on a national level and sort of what's happening there. For me, Girl Scouts seem to be a natural progression because I, at this stage of my career, I'm kind of looking more for impact and I'm looking for legacy. I'm looking for, you know, a place to be able to make an impact. And I really believe in that whole idea of everybody putting out a point of light. I really believe that all of us need to choose something that's positive, that's making the world a better place. And for me, that was Girl Scouts. And the reason I chose Girl Scouts is because you're right, at its very core, Girl Scouts is this amazing organization that tells girls, you are each other's best friends and together we can do anything. And that's number one. But number two, it's telling girls, which I think we can never tell any children, but in particular, our young girls, we need to tell them you can do and be anything. Now, I know we say those words, but in Girl Scouts, we teach girls how to do that. We teach girls how to try new things and maybe they do fail, but let's look at failure in a really positive way. Let's look at failure like scientists do. Let's look at it as what did I learn so that I can tweak it and do it better next time, right? There's that famous line of if Einstein had quit before the 101 or 1001 light bulb, we wouldn't have the light bulb, right? So it's kind of like understanding that failure is not a bad thing, it's a process. So teaching girls how to stand on their own two feet, teaching girls how to advocate for themselves, teaching girls that they have value intrinsically just in who they are, teaching girls that they don't have to follow in anybody's footsteps. They can blaze their own trail. They don't have to make the same mistakes that their parents made. They can make new ones, if you will, but in a positive way, right? We don't have to recreate the wheel and we don't have to walk in the rut of the wheels that went before us. You know, we can create our own road. And so for me, that became incredibly important as my children were growing up, you know, how can I empower them? What do I need? And looking for resources. And that's when I found Girl Scouts because both my girls, I put them both in Girl Scouts because I didn't find any other organization. I found lots of service organizations and I found lots of social organizations and I found lots of organizations where they would have friends and do things together. But I didn't find anything where the girls were actually touching real world problems and issues and solving them, like really solving them. My daughter could walk into the library and put a book in the shelf and the book fell out the other end. And we went and talked to the librarian and she said, oh, you know, they built the bookshelves, but they didn't put backs on them. So that's one of the problems we had. And she went and discussed it with her troop leader. And in fourth grade, got the men in the community to come and build backs to the library shelves. So our local library, the books don't fall out anymore. I know that sounds really small. What my daughter learned in fourth grade was, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to do it. And I, as a fourth grader, have the voice and the power to be able to affect change in my little community library. Now expand that by 1.2 million members. Expand that by 55 million alumni. 
okay? We have this huge voice, and as Girl Scouts, we haven't used it. Yeah, we have this amazing CEO, Sylvia Acevedo, who has said, Girl Scouts changed my life. It changed the life of millions of girls, and we're just gonna, we're gonna toot our own horn, because I don't think we've done enough. I always say that Girl Scouts is the brand that everybody knows and no one understands. Did you know that we've been teaching STEM for 21 years? Everybody's talking about STEM now, right? Before any school had even STEM curriculum, right? So the way that it is now. I mean, you look at the proof in the pudding, the Girl Scout difference. All the female astronauts are Girl Scouts. Over 60% of the elected officials, female elected officials are Girl Scouts. All the secretary, female secretary of states were Girl Scouts. Over 50% of the women just elected, just elected, were Girl Scouts. That is true that with Sylvia's leadership, the people that she's surrounded herself with, like you and, and others, you really have become a thought leadership voice. There's been a definite change. You know, I see just the articles and where she's being interviewed. You've always been the thought leaders. It's just sort of, you weren't recognized for that. You know, it's more important than ever that women know that there is this organization and that the young girls know continuing this women's movement and continuing our movement forward and very exciting time for you. That's for sure. It is. It's wonderful. And I just a very exciting time for Girl Scouts. I, I think back to our original comment about women not tooting their own horn. I think that Girl Scouts, you know, we fell prey to that, I think a little bit. I don't think we did a good enough job of telling people what we do. And, um, and so lately, you know, with Sylvia, she's like unapologetically a Girl Scout and boy, she, she will talk to anyone about it. She's in Silicon Valley negotiating gender equity pay, just named InStyle Magazine Women Changing the World. She and I are meeting with the new Mexican ambassador to the United States to talk about how we can serve the Latino population in the United States in a better way. I mean, if you have a daughter, you owe it to her to look at your local scout council and see what they're doing. Because I guarantee you, no other organization is going to expose your daughter to the things that Girl Scouts does. It's, it's amazing. And I am so honored that I get to go around and talk about it. It's a dream job. It is a dream job. I know. And it's perfect for you. It's perfect. Well, as we close, is there one sort of quick piece of advice that you either have gotten over the years or that you always like to give out that you think would be helpful for our listeners? Just like that go-to thing. The two things that I always tell myself when I'm looking at something new or something that I need to do is, first of all, understand that you have everything you need right now to reach whatever that goal is. You may not believe it, but you do. You have the contacts, you have the strength, you have the intelligence, you have the fortitude, you have everything you need right now to get it done. But you also, which is my second piece of advice, tell everyone you know. Everyone you know what you wanna do and what you wanna accomplish because you never know where the help's gonna come from. And angels will show up for you if you put it up in the universe, I guarantee you. I've never had an, an occasion in my life where I haven't put it out there, either through prayer or meditation or just talking to a friend about what I want in life, that something hasn't come back to me in a very positive manner. And just learn what your superpower is. Follow Melinda's lead. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much to everybody. Thank you um, for listening. Lalise Garcia-Bab, who is the Movement Media Director and Spokesperson for Girl Scouts USA. And thank you so much for being so authentic and telling your story and sharing with us today. And I know that we will see lots more from you. So we'll have to do a catch up and see how everything's going. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for connecting with women, for being the trailblazer that you are, because you've changed a lot of lives, Melinda. You really have. So thank you. And thanks to your listeners. 
Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week. And check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.